Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Awakening Podcast. I'm Colleen Stanley, and joining me today is my partner, Stephen Rosen. Stephen, good to see you again. Good to see you, Colleen. Thank you. It's my honor to welcome, I was going to say my, my good friend, but my friend, David Hennessy, Vice President of Sales of Kite Pharma, overall nice guy, and what I would call an enlightened sales leader. David, if you can share a little bit about yourself, your role, type of sales, a bit about your sales team, and really what I love about Kite is the amazing technology that they've brought to market. And, and maybe just share a little bit of that with our audience, and then we can get into a little bit more about what you're doing. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Colleen. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to share a little bit about what we do at Kite and, and my journey to here. So I'll start with probably the most important thing is what we do at Kite. And uh, we're very fortunate to work in the oncology space. And uh, Kite is all about in pursuit of a mission for cure. And how we do this is with our technology and our amazing people, of course. So the first thing we do is we collect a patient's white blood cells. So those are the fighting cells that you have in your body. We isolate and activate what's called a T cell. And then we engineer that T cell with what's called a chimeric antigen receptor or CAR. So CAR T is a chimeric antigen receptor T cell. We engineer those to fight the cancer you have, in particular lymphomas, and certain types of adult leukemia, mantle cell lymphoma, those types. Then we grow outside of your body, the number of those T cells that have been engineered, and then we infuse them back into you. So your own cells get engineered and given back to you to fight the type of cancer you have. I joined the company about two and a half, almost three now. And let's see, I've been in a variety of commercial and the biotech pharma spaces for the last almost coming up on 25 years, which just feels crazy. It feels like yesterday. And done a variety of roles, whether I've carried the bag as a sales professional or as a sales leader, marketing on a market access side. And really the last 15 years have been leading national teams in a variety of capacities. That's great, David. Thanks for sharing. And let me ask you a very important question. When you look at your many years in sales leadership, what would you say your awakening moment was that shifted your leadership approach or your thinking or how you went about uh, leading your team? Sure, I can remember the day, not the date. I was on a field ride. I was a brand new sales leader. This is when I was at AstraZeneca, a fine organization. And I was a brand new hospital manager and I was responsible for the West Coast at the time on our injectable and pill products. And I was riding in the field with 25 year experienced hospital rep who I think had suits older than me. And <laughs> at the time, I had all the great ideas. I knew exactly the way it was supposed to be done because I was a really successful sales rep. So of course everybody does it my way. And that awakening for me was I need to listen a heck of a lot more than me yammering on about what I think they should be doing and really learn to ask them questions. And this particular rep, who's a dear friend of mine today still, just gave me some really blunt and direct feedback around, hey, you just need to listen to a lot more about what we're doing because you got 13 reps that are really kicking butt and we all do it different ways. And you could learn a lot from listening to what we do and see how we do it. And what we need you to do is actually share the best practices that you see that I do that somebody else should be doing and vice versa. And it started me on my journey of really becoming a servant leader and listening a lot more and asking questions. I could talk all day long about that. As most sales leaders will tell you, we can talk about ourselves all day. Shifting from telling people what to do to asking great questions and listening the core of coaching. It's the core of leadership. It's the nice thing about the individual is they shared that with you early on in your career. So it, it may have saved some bumps along the road. It did made lots of bumps along the way. I was very thankful that I must have done something right that she thought it was good to invest in me. And that's how I think about it. I did enough right that she's listened. 
we can do a lot of work here. And I, I look back years later, the team put her up to it for sure. I was driving them bonkers. You're going to tell them, you going to spend all day with them driving them to Sacramento. I think if you tell them, please. Yeah, pretty much. I'll never forget that because it's something that I've always tried to pay forward is that all kidding aside, feedback is a tremendous gift. No matter where you get it, you might be in the right headspace to hear it. And you certainly may not agree with it. The fact that team at the time chose to invest in me is something I'll be forever grateful for. And hopefully I was a better leader on the second half of our experiences than the first half. Absolutely. And there's a saying out there, when people care, they actually share. And I've always said to any member of my team, the day I quit, you know, giving feedback, that's when you should get nervous because I've gone into what I call apathy. So I commend and I'm glad you guys are still friends here. And kind of continuing on this theme, but taking a little bit of a right turn here okay. on an awakening moment. I know with your background, you've been involved in a lot of conversations around strategy, setting the strategy, changing the strategy. And since this podcast is focused on really bridging the knowing and doing gap, where's the gap from your perspective and experience where you've seen people set the strategy, but then there's this lack of execution? Any thoughts there? Sure. I'm a subscriber of the philosophy that a mediocre strategy violently executed is better than the perfect strategy poorly executed. In other words, doing something in the marketplace sometimes is better than nothing. And in my experience, whether I was on the marketing side or whether I was on as a sales leader side, what I've seen is that in many cases, the people that are creating the strategy, they don't necessarily, they'll spend three, four, five months creating strategies. So what's in their head is really longitudinal. It's big. Then they try to put it down to two slides and say, and here's the basis for why we're doing the strategy. And here you go, sales team, here's two slides. We've just convinced four months of work to two slides. And I think that does the strategy development a disservice. I'm a big believer that if the sales team knows what the strategy is based upon, why it's important, they will get behind it if they see how it's going to help them grow their sales and help them grow their business. And so on the biotech space, it's really around What's your product positioning? What are the merits of the product? What are the messages you want to deliver in the marketplace? What's the patient type that's the best fit? And where I've seen strategy fall apart is usually where we're going to position. The product is either unrealistic or unattainable, or it's not today, but maybe it's a five-year strategy that we're trying to discuss today, which doesn't really help the sales force. Five years is might as well be 5,000 years away. Especially today. Exactly. Give me today's positioning, not where you want it to be in five years. And the other thing is that a lot of times you won't get agreement on the patient type that's the appropriate one. They're like, my, my doctors will never buy that. So how do you help them see that not only will your doctors buy it, this is what they probably should be using it for. And so that's the, it's a robust why that I really want to see come through with our marketing colleagues. Now, as, as a sales leader, I don't just say, hey, bring it over the fence and let me do it. I should be partnering with you from the beginning on the strategy where I get to pull what I know about the marketplace and our customers with that strategy development. And then I want to make sure that I'm the one also talking to the Salesforce with marketing. We're both on stage together talking about why I believe, why we believe this is important. And so where I've seen it go wrong, Colleen, is when it's one department versus the other, it's too aspirational, it's not specific enough, and we just don't invest enough time in the why. And we assume everybody mm -hmm. heard it from the front of the room at the national meeting for seven minutes, so they must get it. You want to give me an hour? I can give you a lot of other hours. Maybe give me a strategy primer before the meeting. Maybe the NSM, we do a refresher after that. Maybe we should talk about how to strategy show up in action. Like we got to work with this, folks. And this is, it's, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of times you've got your chief revenue officers, sales managers, they're doing the ride-alongs, whether it's a virtual call or in-person call. I don't think I see enough of the marketing department doing ride-alongs. 
Is that part of the disconnect? Because like you said, we're all on the same stage together, but I've said marketing needs to be out there in the field because it's like when you hear it firsthand or see it firsthand, it becomes real. And I think the messaging becomes more authentic or frankly on point. I got to tell you, there's a couple of best practices that I've seen organizations do. One was Genentech Roche really did this incredibly well. They created marketing buddies. And so every sales team had a marketing lead that would basically be with them for the year. And they would be the ones that go to the, the regional meetings. That's what they would do their field days. That's who they saw at conferences and congresses, the customers in those regions. And that really formed a tight relationship. And I saw that, Colleen. So that's how it really worked very well in that sense. That's something I've carried forward with Kike that I think is really, until you see your, your sell sheet or your patient type in front of a customer getting beat up, you don't really live. But the best practice I saw was when the marketing team would create field input teams, more specific teams. So they'd say, hey, we're thinking about redoing strategy. Let's get three or four salespeople to at least listen in on a strategy development. It's good for their development. And more importantly, we're getting a real customer view on here. Or what's a new sales piece or patient you know, patient type we're going to go after. Whatever it may be, forming two or three like small teams to get people in to the headquarters and get that experience. That has been really, very powerful. And Kite does that incredibly well. So does Genentech. AstraZeneca also did that really well, but in, in a much more focused fashion because the discipline there at AZ was much more of a marketing first, marketing led organization. And I respect the heck out of that because there was very clear direction almost always. Did I agree with it? That's a whole nother story. It's interesting that you say that because I come from a pharma background as well. And the process within the pharmaceutical industry of building brand plans, of building all their marketing plans is probably two to three months in length until it's presented to different levels of management and finally gets approved in what I have found in many cases. And yes, you may have some folks who sit in on it and who can lend their opinion. Sometimes your physicians are brought in as part of that planning yeah. process, but then all of a sudden it gets lobbed over the fence. A national sales meeting, maybe in January or whenever you're doing a quarterly plan of action, the sales team doesn't have a lot of time to actually work through the execution component because in most cases, there isn't a refined execution process or a building process to yep. build the execution plan. Can you share any things that you do to help the sales team execute incredibly well? Well, we have to make sure we have any of this. this is not just pharma, no, any organization. What do you expect of your sales organization? And I go back to the basics of any strategy. So whether it's a marketing strategy or in this case, a sales execution strategy, the components are the who, the what, the where, the when, and the how. And if you have those checked off, then your strategy has a really good shot at being successful. So who should I focus and spend my energy on? What customers? What segment of the customers? Is it everyone that does plumbing or just certain plumbers? Is it every physician or certain physicians? And why is that important? Where do these people reside? Should I drive five hours to see that high value customer out in the middle of nowhere? Or am I better off staying here with some medium value, but save 10 hours of my life? That's a trade-off decision that you have to give people guidance on. So the who should I call on? Where am I calling on them? What do you want me to say, marketing? You've done the message we give me. What's the core story we should be telling? Why should I use this product? Don't let me create my own version of that, for goodness sake. Let's put some science behind it. And then of course, there's other attributes that kind of go with that. So the who, the where, the what, and then the how is obviously our attitude, how we show up as individual. How are we excited about this? So we moping around throughout the day. 100% controllable, by the way, by us. And then each one of those has a why behind it. If you hit those elements, then your execution will be good. And, and when in my experience, Stephen, whenever I've seen poor execution, it almost always falters on one of those. I didn't realize that the customer is that important. I didn't realize that's what you expected of me. 
I was going to ask always one of the challenges once you've rolled it out is keeping execution on track. How are some ways that you know that the team's doing a good job, a great job, an amazing job executing? It goes back to the basics of any execution. There's really good books written on this one, by the way, around execution. There's people that get PhDs in this, I'm sure. But for me, it's you find a few basic measurements that tell you're on track. And, and those are what I call lead indicators. They tell you where are you putting the ergs of energy into the marketplace? And is it in the right place? Is it in the right customer group? And then the pharma side, we also can, can track the messages that we're talking about. So are we actually talking about what we're supposed to be? Obviously, the quality of this is only what you put into it. So you want people to be truthful because it's important for us to understand. And then obviously, the real indicator is do you see the results change? And so execution for me is where do you put the activity? What are you showing up and, and executing against? And then the results should follow. And if results don't follow, then you go back to the age old question. Did you deliver the message and the story or is it a bad story? And if you don't have decent data, you can't actually answer that question. That's why the data is so important to understand. The presenting problem is generally not the real problem. That's right. So you've got to dive into all of those things that you've mentioned there. Something you have to go back up, you uh, conversations is, I love that process. Like you've got to have these points that you hit, but something you mentioned when we connected the first time was your team understanding the why. Now, I don't want to give away the plot, but you mentioned something about heart. I'll just leave it there for leadership style. Yeah, fair enough. Any strategy, you have to spend the time on the why behind it, right? We all know this. We talked about it. I have found that in my experience, every why should have two components. One is the head, which is your rational thinking about it. Is it a numbers game? Show me the strength of the market, you know, all that. The other one is the heart. In this case, in, in my industry, as I talked about Kite and CAR-T, we're offering hope to a lot of patients. If you can't get excited about that and that's not your why, then you're in the wrong business. And everyone's wired differently. Some people, it's never 50-50. Some people are all heart and limited on the head and others are around the other way around. And so as a leader, you want to make sure that every argument you make, uh, the, the basis for the why has those two components. You're covering the majority of humanity with those. How have you done that? Because again, the knowing and doing gap with all the literature we have out there growing, people talk about empathy a lot. So what's the reason a leader only focuses on the heart maybe or and ignores the numbers? I've seen that. Or they just focus on the numbers and go after just the heart. Where's the disconnect happening? I think people are wired a certain way. Like when I look at my family, they're just, I got a data-driven kid and I have a non-data-driven kid. And there's, I think people are wired that way, or at least they gravitate one or the other. And I think as leaders, it's our responsibility to appeal to the broadest audience possible, because I have an audience full of people that will be both one or the other or versions of both. And so I think in many cases, I don't think people intentionally say, we're going to make it a rational argument and stick away from the emotion. I just think they're wired that way. And our job as leaders is to know who we are and understand who we are and where we're leading from. And then from there, either balance it out with somebody else who could help you balance it out or find a way to balance it yourself. And I tell people, if you can't find the heart in what we're doing, that's okay. There's somebody else you can bring on stage that'll help you with that or the data part of somebody else. Patients are very persuasive in terms of how it's impacted them. Patient success stories, physician success stories. Even It goes beyond healthcare though. Healthcare, I think the, the why is really easy at times because you could better life, improve life, keep people alive. But I don't care what you're selling. There is an emotional argument to be made for every single product sold. It'll make your life easier, which translates to you'll have more time with your family if you choose to, right? You'll be able to get work done to do something else that you enjoy doing. The more efficient mousetrap uh, allows you to have a cleaner home, free of pests. Like you can think of any emotional argument you want to have. 
And I think anytime you don't rely on both the head and the heart, you're leaving yourself open to a competitor perhaps doing that. Absolutely. You remind me this, I can't even believe this. this is something 15 years ago. And I had a colleague and I, I don't even remember his area of expertise, but he was facilitating a workshop with RTD bus drivers. And, you know, they were kind of like, he goes, and I think he was trying to get to the why. And they're all looking at him like this. And he finally started saying, do you get people to doctor's appointments? Do you get people to visit their aging parents? Do you get people to school? And yep. all of a sudden, just the difference in the emotion when these people realize I'm not just driving a bus. And I think it goes to your point. You can find purpose in almost everything. So I really appreciate it. That's exactly right. I know Simon Sinek specializes in this area. He's extraordinary in this area. I'm sure you all are familiar with his work. He talks about a variety of framings of how to kind of get at this. And I'll paraphrase him really poorly on this one. But he says something to the effect, people don't necessarily remember what you say. They remember how you make them feel. So it's interesting because in many cases, we talk about hard measurements or metrics for sales. And here we're talking about the heart, having purpose in what you sell as being key drivers for what gets people going and what makes them execute better. Colleen, could you summarize any, is there any points that you feel, hey, this was phenomenal. I, I know I've got a couple. He said, David, thank you for sharing this with us. Well, the one that really did grab me is because everyone, like you said, David, talks about the why, but when you framed it up as the heart and head, but then what you just said, certain people are wired certain ways. That's why they default to that. And in fact, it's interesting at our house, my husband is really logical, really analytical. He can build a rocket ship. Me, <laughs> I'm flying at the 50,000 foot level. But the next thing you pointed out, and I think this is really important if you didn't catch this, listeners, viewers, self-awareness. Just be aware of where you're going to default, but be aware with, that we need both, especially in driving forward execution, strategy, and solutions. So that was an aha today for me that we do tend to default to those, but having that self-awareness. So thank you for that. I got to tell you, I've learned for myself, I can orient heavily towards the heart. I just, that's the way I, I wire. I know that. So I spend extra time on the head. I have to make myself do it. I got to make myself look at the spreadsheets. I have to have a regular time where I do it. I have an analytical team that helps me out with these things. It's not that I can't do the work. It's just, if I have 15 minutes, I'm going to spend 12 on the heart stuff. So I can make myself do the stuff that just doesn't come naturally to me. Good for you. That's a great self-awareness. I've been working with many leaders and, and working on communication style. And we use different uh, terminologies, but it's people who are people-oriented who like to know the excitement part and people who are factually oriented. And you find most people are wired one way as opposed to the other. But the most effective communicators are ones who appeal to both. And if you're naturally people-oriented or hard-oriented, then find a way to toggle up on your hows or, or your details so you can win both parts. So to, to me, one of the, I think, really insightful points here is you have to understand the why and understand the how. And, and as effective sales leaders, by being able to communicate across what you have said, the what, the why, the how, and maybe even the who, who's going to do this, really creates full level of people understanding because you're communicating to four quadrants. And as a result, you get better buy-in, better execution, better performance. You know, Stephen, I think everyone, at least in sales leadership, fancies himself a strategist. Weekend strategy all day long, especially if it's the wrong one that you're executing that somebody else created. But all kidding aside on that, I think that framework of the who, what, where, and how, I learned that at AstraZeneca, which did amazing strategy. I will tell you, they're really good at that work. 
And if you can't put your strategy on a single piece of paper with your basic positioning, your who, what, where, and how, and the why, then it is overly complicated. It is at risk for being executed poorly. And so I always ask for the one pagers from my marketing driving bonkers because I want to have, and then I'll share it with my sales leaders. This is what it's supposed to look like. Is it this way every day? Of course not, but this is what you should be striving for. David, I, I'm in line with you. And one of my beliefs, and, and I'm not wired for strategy, I'm wired for tactics. Colleen is much more strategic than I am, but I believe that if you want to execute with a large sales team, you have to boil things down to simplicity to get effective execution. And one page to me is about simplicity because you've taken a long, it takes a long time to boil down three months of marketing activity into one page. It's not a binder anymore. It is marching orders. David, I want to thank you. I, I think it's been great. As we wrap up another uh, insightful episode of the Sales Leadership Awakening podcast, we hope you gather some valuable strategies in terms of how to effectively communicate to your team to ensure great execution. We know we have to do it, but I think David has shared some really good ways that he goes about bridging that gap. And if you like what you're hearing, I suggest you take the time and subscribe to our podcast to ensure that you get every week's edition out and it helps awaken you that we provide tools and really great leadership through some of our wonderful guests to transform and make you a better leader. Thanks very much. Thanks, David. Thanks, Colleen. Thanks, Stephen.